With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We cannot start this podcast the same way that we always do every week. Because we're recording at night. It's a Tuesday night. And depending on when you're listening to this, all the games will be over. But man, what a week we have had. Some sad news, some fun stuff, you know, a little bit of mixture of everything. We're really getting into the heat of the NBA season, headed in towards the, the postseason, and things are heating up, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, but we are ready to go. It's keeping it at 94. Spencer Davies, Brian Fritz, bringing you another episode Courtesy of the basketballnews.com podcast network. Brian, what's going on, man? We're getting down close to the finish line of the regular season. And as we're kind of sprinting to the finish line here, agony and heartbreak has hit the NBA and especially the Denver Nuggets. It has, and uh, it, it sucks because we were watching Steph Curry put on a show. He passes Wilt Chamberlain in Warriors franchise history for being the all-time leading scorer. It was a really, really good game. Uh, and, you know, the, the Nuggets were starting to make a run. They, they they were really pulling within, I think they were within seven in that game. And then you just saw Jamal Murray, they're down seven, and, they're, and he goes down the court. Uh, fast break opportunity, um, just plants with that left, left leg, and it, it just buckles. And um, it, it just sucks to watch somebody uh, just be in pain like that on the floor. He's, he's slapping the floor. You know, his teammates are clearly like shaken by it. This isn't the first time we've seen that this year. And uh, maybe we talk about that a little bit later in the show. But just seeing Jamal go down, uh, you know, especially with, the, the momentum that the nuggets were riding. I know that this is the second loss in a row they've had. And you know, the offense wasn't clicking, but at the same time, like just Jamal Murray, the, a player of his caliber, as exciting of a player as he is, as good of a person as he is just to see him down and, and got the news on Tuesday morning that it's a torn ACL and his left knee um, just, just sucks, man. There's no other way to, to draw this out. It just sucks. Absolutely. And you know, when you go down like that, you automatically think like that season over is over for the person, you know, and, and like you said, to see it happen to anybody is rough, but to see it happen to somebody who is an all-star player, somebody that means so much to the Denver Nuggets and a team that is on the cusp of wondering, are they going to be true title contenders? Are they going to be true uh, a, a team that could really come out of the West and, you know, with him being, you know, one of the star players on that team and seeing, you know, the possibilities for the nuggets and then for that to happen. I mean, that, that is devastating. And that, that's really tough to watch. You know, like I said, I mean, I, I mean, I can be a fan of a certain team. I can root for certain players and different things, but when it comes to sports and injuries, 
they're horrible. They are gut-wrenching to watch. And I don't wish that on anybody, but especially somebody as fun and as charismatic and um, as good of a person as Jamal Murray. That's, that, that's really tough. Tough setback, setback but uh, it's going to set up a greater comeback. Just, just have a good feeling about that one. Well, the thing uh, is, too, yeah. I mean, with, with the level of that injury, that obviously not only is he out for the rest of this season, including, you know, the playoff run for the Nuggets, you have to wonder how much of next season he's going to miss as well. Because, you know, in ACL, you're thinking it's probably going to be somewhere seven to nine months, probably closer to the latter. So nine months, that is, we're talking about, you know, 2022. Yeah, it's it, come back. it's significant period of time. The the good news is with ACL injuries, the medical technology has gotten better. Um, and the same goes for Achilles injuries, though Achilles injuries are, are a lot tougher to recover from and get back to your normal self. We've seen players with ACL injuries come back and be themselves. So that's a good thing just about the, the advancement in and medical technology and the way that they repair these injuries and the rehabilitation programs, they've done a good job of that uh, just in sport in general, not just basketball. So I'm holding out hope that Jamal is still going to be that guy. Um, But the the short-term hit here that the Nuggets are taking is is pretty significant considering we know that the two-man game between him and Nikola Jokic. Um, we're probably going to see some other guys to have to step up just in the scoring department. We know that Nikola Jokic is doing what he's doing this year. He's having an MVP season. He's really taken on a, a, a solid job of being the, the primary passer of this team, uh, especially since Aaron Gordon's arrived, just bounce, bounce pass after bounce pass, pocket passes, uh, just everything off ball going to Aaron Gordon. Uh, you know, Michael Porter Jr. just rising up on the outside. Sometimes it started to take it to the cup. They, they've had a little bit of struggles in the last couple of games on the offensive end. But at the same time, I feel like they do have depth to combat this. I really like Monte Morris. I think Monte Morris is a very heady player. He has one of the best assist to turnover ratios and has... I think somewhere about the least amount of turnovers in the league or somewhere around there. And he's always been that type of player to take care of the basketball and knows what to do on a basketball court, having him play with the starters. I'm sure that it'll take some time for him, but he has played with them and he has played in two guard sets with Jamal too, with, with the starters. So that aspect they're they're going to be okay. in. it's the scoring it's, you know, the excitement, it's the clutch factor that they're losing with Jamal not being there. Somebody's going to have to take the big shots now. Um, probably all going to be Nikola Jokic and, and Michael Porter Jr. if I would have to guess anything. But uh, in the short term, I feel like they'll be able to combat it this year. We're going to see a lot of more of a Facundo Campazzo now. Uh, and, you know, he's been kind of someone who just you'd like to watch just for fun. But He's had some skills that like have, have really shown, you know, on the, on the court, just his ability to find guys, his, his, his passes that you don't see coming, uh, you know, somebody who can knock down the occasional three, uh, very JJ Barea like, 
uh, he, he's going to have to step up in that role uh, just as the backup point guard, I would assume. And uh, yeah, Aaron Gordon, now he's going to be dependent on as well uh, to be the third guy instead of the fourth guy. Yeah, and that's going to be the thing. We'll, we'll see, you know, what kind of effect this might have on the Nuggets offense right now. But like you said, I think the biggest thing where we're going to miss Jamal is that clutch. And that's what we saw even in the playoffs last year when everybody said, look at this coming out party for Jamal Murray, you know, as the Nuggets went to the Western Conference Finals because Murray was regularly having these monster games in the playoffs, putting over 40 points and just carrying his team night after night you know, in these games. And when you get to the playoffs, you're going to shorten your bench. You're going to shorten the people that you trust. And you know that Jamal Murray is going to be one of those guys that you can trust. And then you've seen, you know, Jokic play at this MVP like level this year. He's taken his game to another level. And then Michael Porter Jr. is now healthy. He's been playing better. And then they go out, they make the big trade. They get Aaron Gordon. So they've got this other piece that they can move around the court. So we talked about last week, kind of this, you know, Swiss army knife. They can do so many different things and they can use them in so many different ways. And, you know, looking at the West, I know we're going to talk about how wide open the West is, especially after this, but I really thought even before Murray went down, especially before Murray went down, I thought this is a team that regardless of what happens, say with the Lakers and Anthony Davis and with LeBron James, that I really thought that this is a team that could contend to come out of the West this season they had taken that step forward and now for murray to go down that doesn't totally evaporate their chance but it puts a puts a massive dent in it and then that's the problem now because they're they're missing their leader i mean Jokic is the guy that is the mvp candidate but murray is the leader because he is the point guard he is the guy that's kind of calling things out and having that tandem of Murray and Jokic being the pillars of the Nuggets going forward. That's what you need. And now they're missing one of those pillars. Especially since they were in the Western Conference Finals last year. They kind of came out of nowhere and almost got to the finals if they didn't run into LeBron and AD. But yeah. let's, sti let's stick to LeBron and AD, though, because I know you wanted to get to this. And when you look at the Western Conference, there's legitimately five teams that could come out of the West. It's, it is wide open, as you described it. But we didn't really talk too much on the Lakers last week. And I know you've been kind of itching to get towards this, but you, you had some interesting thoughts on, uh, on Anthony Davis, but uh, LeBron James also should be coming back somewhat soon. Right. Right. So Woj over the last couple of days, I think over the weekend had said that the plan was Anthony Davis would be reevaluated by the Laker team. Doctors could return to play in the next 10 to 14 days, so basically in two weeks, and LeBron probably about three weeks away. So with LeBron, that's a pretty stiff injury to come back from, the high ankle sprain, but I think everybody expects LeBron to come back probably at full strength. I mean, high ankle sprains are nothing to mess with, and depending on the person, um, there's been some instances where people have said, I was, wasn't the same for six months, you know? LeBron, though, and the way that he has attacked this injury and all the advances of technology and all the different things that he does, I expect him to probably be back 100 percent, you know, or as close to it as possible. And some people have even talked about, like, maybe the, the rest following last season might actually help them, you know, as a gear up for the playoffs. So I don't think there's going to be a problem there. 
I think where the problem is going to be is Anthony Davis, because you're talking about an Achilles injuries. And I know they talk about it still being, it's the calf, but we all know they're worried about his Achilles. That's why he's been out for so long. He's been out since February 14th. And they're talking about, he could return to play in two weeks. And this has been pushed back so many different times where they're going to be extremely careful. You've got a big guy, you've got an Achilles injury, but I really wonder when it comes to this. And obviously we won't know, you know, until we get close to that two week timetable, but I really wonder when it comes to this, like how much of a chance is there that Anthony Davis does not come back this season? Is there a point? Is there a threshold? And obviously I don't know it. You don't know it yet. I mean, I don't know how close the Lakers know it, but how close are we really to that point where they say too big of a risk because it's an Achilles injury. We're going to shut it down for this season. And I, I really wonder that. I, like I said, I guess we won't find out for another couple of weeks to see where he really is on the court. And they've been taking it very, very carefully and very slowly like they should. But I I really want to see what happens here because I, I truly wonder what, if he can come back this season, how careful do they want to play it? Do they want to put him out there if he comes back out? Um, is he on a minutes restriction? Is that going to be for the rest of the season in the playoffs or there's a lot of different factors. And, and if Anthony Davis is not close to 100%, say, say he comes back and he's at 80%, 70%, the West is wide open at that point. And if he doesn't come back at all, then it's really open. You know, say what you will about having LeBron back, but without AD on the court for the Lakers, um, that makes it extremely tough, I think, for them to come out of the West. You brought up the minutes restriction, and that's interesting to me because – if he were to come back for this season, you would have to gradually bring him along, put him on 10 minutes, put him on 15, maybe, uh, you know, that for a few games, and then you, you bump it up to 20. And then you go to 25 because you have to be so, so careful and strategic about this type of injury that you're not going to do that in the playoffs. You wouldn't waste your time with a minute-restricted Anthony Davis in the playoffs, you need probably at a minimum three weeks to four weeks to really get him ramped back up. And that same thing honestly goes for LeBron James. When I think about this is you need, you need to do it gradually. You can't just bring someone back, put them out there for 30 minutes and expect them to be all right. Maybe they are because of the adrenaline and how good they play that night, but the long term and the, the, the overtime in the next you know week and two weeks, whatever it may be, after that first game back, maybe th that just kind of gets to their head. Maybe the, the injury gets re-aggravated. You just don't want to mess with that kind of stuff. So bringing them back gradually is the key. And if they can't do that, if he's not back in, say, like two weeks, then I could completely go with what you're saying and say he's not going to be back at all because they're not going to be able to, to bring him back. He won't be able to be AD, and he'll also be on this minutes restriction that would take away from guys who are honestly performing, guys like Kyle Kuzma and, and Amontrez Harrell. Like, those guys have been good in, this, in, in, in the team's absence, Markeith Morris. You know, those are the guys that, that have been playing and they've been, been having these big minutes and, and, and really, you know, performing. And it's not, and it's not like a, you know, a, a slight against Anthony or anything, but like him at 60%, 
probably not what you want. No, because if you put him out there at 60%, yeah, he can be better than some of the other guys, but he, he he's not what you need to be a championship contender. And, that, and he could go from problem. 60 to, to 25% too. Just one bad fall or one bad, bad landing. You could go right, right down. Yeah. And that's what we don't know in that, you know, they keep talking about he's going to be reevaluated. We keep seeing this over and over. So I don't know how close he is, or is he still at that same kind of a level where they say, still not there to really do too much on the court. So let's push it back another couple of weeks. I don't know if he's been getting closer, like what kind of progress he's made. They've been very tight lipped about that. But I mean, if he comes back in two weeks from that report, you'd be talking about Saturday, the 24th at that point, if he came back for that game, which is in Dallas, the Lakers counting that game would have 13 games left in the season. If LeBron comes back three weeks from that date, you'd be looking at, um, May 2nd. At that point, the Lakers have 10 games left in the season. I think in their perfect world, they would like both of them back no later than May 2nd. So they have those 10 games to try to get some of the rust off, you know, on the court. Conditioning. Conditioning, all those different things. And speed. Try to figure out, like, we know that those guys are healthy. They're going to get minutes. But what is the rotation going to look like? What they want to play with them some matchups too, because they want to see like, okay, we did even before AD got hurt, him and Montrez barely played with each other on the courts. Do they want to play with some of that? Plus, they want to see how do LeBron and Anthony Davis play with Andre Drummond as well. You know, they there's New so teammates. many different things that ben they want. is a part of the team now. Yes, exactly. Like, so know, they got to like, figure out some of this rotation stuff and figure out like who's going to play what. Now, now, mind you, it's going to be a little bit different, probably even in the playoffs in the regular season. But they want to, you know, they want to play around with some different matchups and, and see how everybody plays off of one another. And they don't have that much time to do it. And you're still not even certain when guys are coming back. No, no, and you can't. I, it sounds like a cliche, but you can't shortcut the process. You can't do it or else you could end up with a devastating result. Right. And that's why, you know, we'll find out here, I think, in the next two or three weeks when it comes to Anthony Davis, if he comes back and how he, if he does come back, how he immediately looks. But I wonder, because it is an Achilles, how much are they playing around and saying, are we even closer? Are they even thinking about shutting him down? And I'm not trying to say this as hyperbole or anything, but I really wonder because he has been out for so long. They are trying to be so careful, and I don't think it's out of the question. And if Anthony Davis is not playing for the Lakers, then you can just blow up the West, you know, with all the different teams that now have high hopes. It's a free-for-all. And one of them was going to be the Denver Nuggets, and I don't know if I can say that anymore because they're missing one of their star players as well. Just sucks. Lots of injuries, man. Lots it's, of injuries. I, I hate injuries so much. It's just like, you know – like I said before, I want to see my team win or the, my, the teams I really enjoy watching or players I like rooting for or whatever. But I, I don't, I like to see the best beat the best. That's, that's what I want to see in this competition when it comes to the NBA. Right. And, um, you know, we'll see what's going to happen with the Lakers, but we do know that Jamal Murray is going to be out. And that's, that is just devastating. And, you know, it's, it's not a surprise that the teams that have been able to stay healthy are the top two in the West. Absolutely. And, and I mean, you could say the Clippers, but they still have had some knickknack injuries here and there. Utah and Phoenix have had the most consistency out of anybody in this league. Out of to, to just talking about 
rotations, starting lineup, like fewest starting lineups, all that stuff. Like, and that's huge. That's huge. Continuity is huge to have in a season like this, where it's condensed, where there's back-to-backs every other three days. Like, you know, like it's it's tough, but Utah and Phoenix have been able to manage that. And um, I think that those two should get very, very high consideration as teams that could come out of the West. I I still think, though, and, and I said this, and, and uh, we have a roundtable coming out actually on basketballnews.com in the next week or so, maybe in the next few days, um, about who's going to come out of the West. I, I still like the Clippers. I do. I like the Clippers a lot. Um, there's just the way that I said it is they're much more than PG and Kawhi. They have versatile bigs. You get to Zubac is your guy who can get down low, bruise with them, you know, uh, play solid defense at the point of attack. Serge Baca, more of your pick and pop guy. They're experimenting with DeMarcus, DeMarcus Cousins right now, but I don't know if he's going to make it to the end of the season. We'll, we'll see on that front. But those bigs, and then you have super, super good, confident players in Reggie Jackson right now, who's setting the world on fire. He just looks very comfortable filling in beautifully for Patrick Beverly as he is recovering from an injury. They have veterans, Nick Batum and Marcus Morris. Like this is just a good mixture. And I didn't even mention, and I I think I've talked about him before on this podcast, but the development and the, the minutes and experience that Terrence Mann is getting, he is delivering. Oh my God, is he delivering? And Luke Kennard, by the way, also shooting 47% from deep. So they've got a number of weapons. And that goes without talking about what Paul George is doing. That goes without talking about what Kawhi is doing. They have a lot of good surrounding pieces. And then what do you know? Maybe not in the regular season. Maybe in the regular season. I don't know. But Rajon Rondo, big time. Big time in the postseason. No matter how much I I crush that move about moving Lou Williams. Still a hell of a presence in the playoffs. So I like their chances. I think you have to right now because, you know, say what you will about the way that they close games and how they've been kind of up and down during the season. But it seems like they're they're really starting to get on track here a little bit. They've won five in a row. They've got Kawhi. They've got PG. I don't like injuries, and Patrick Beverly is going to be out for three to four weeks. However, they've got other people that are playing his spot and arguably Depth. playing it better. Depth is big, man. Depth is huge. And they have it. Pat Bev has been, you know, with that team for a while. And I said this before, and I, w- I wasn't trying to be a condescending jackass when I said it a couple weeks ago. But when I said, like, what did they ever want with Patrick Beverly? You know, that being said, they've got other people that are filling that role. And you see them starting to go on a run right now. They're, they are. I think they're in the driver's seat. But you could also look at someone like a Phoenix, like a Utah. They, those two. So. Did you watch when they squared off uh, last week? Yeah, I saw some of that. It was an amazing game. Really, really, really good game. Um, Utah is, quote-unquote, on a little bit of a, a, a slump. They've lost three of their last five. <laughs> it, it, you can consider that a slump. Uh, but that game last week, it was actually the night uh, that we recorded the podcast last week. Uh, 
So we, we would have not been able to cover it, but that was a very good game. I, I think that those two facing off in the playoffs would be so great just because their styles are so similar. They operate a methodical pace. They slow the game down, play in the half court, but they execute. They execute and they both play defense. Like it's almost like a mirror image, if you will. But one team has Chris Paul. The other has Donovan Mitchell. One team has Mike Conley. The other has Devin Booker. Like they're very similar in playing style, but they also have very similar qualities in their defensive side too. I think when you look at this and the way that the West is so open right now, I'm sure both Utah and Phoenix and even the Clippers will drown out everybody else. And they probably believed all along. We are true and blue contenders to come out of the West, especially, especially the jazz and the Suns. the way that they have been consistent throughout the season, except for like the first two weeks, the, the Suns got out of the gate slow, but, I think a lot of other people and people like us watching it, um, some people say, well, this is the regular season. The playoffs are totally different. We've seen this story before from a team like the Jazz or even like the Clippers or, or whatever. However, you look at it now and Jamal Murray is out. We don't know what's going on with the Lakers and the, the health of their top two stars. And you sit there and say, well, somebody's got to come out of the West. So who is that somebody going to be, you know, and the jazz have been so consistent and so good. And when you've got, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell kind of uh, keeping everybody together, you know, he's kind of like, um, I look at him as like the younger version of Chris Paul. He really is to me. And you've got him kind of, you know, leading the ship there and with Gobert and everybody and the experience that they have. And then you go over to the Suns with CP3 and what he can bring as a leader there. The question I still have about the Suns is, while Chris has been to the playoffs, that team is still pretty young. So there's some questions there. And then you kind of have the heady Clippers with PG and Kawhi and the experience that they bring, even though a lot of people once again go, well, Paul George of the playoffs, what has he ever done? But like I said, somebody's got to come out of the West. Somebody, somebody, it's going to be interesting to see who that somebody is. I even, there's a part of me that has wanted to throw the Dallas Mavericks in there, but I just can't do it because they're so up and down when they, okay, they're all healthy. They're going to start going to run. They're going to start doing something. Eh, A couple of little crappy losses here or there or whatever, you know, maybe, maybe Portland could be a team with, because Damian Lillard and what he can do, you know? So, I mean, it is wide open right now. In the West. I mean, in the East, I only feel like there's two or three teams, really. But the West, who knows? Yeah, no. And Dallas, if you want to touch on that, since you have it here, we have seen them lose three out of four now. One of those losses includes the Rockets, by the way. That's a horrible loss. Only scored 93 in that game. (laughs) Um. Mind you, they had Luca and Kristaps in that game too. So that that's even more disappointing. What do you feel like their issue has been? I I can't put my finger on it because we talked about it last week, how they were coming off of, a, I think it was a five-game winning streak. Jalen Brunson was shooting out his mind. 
playing decent defense. KP was starting to look like himself. Then they've lost three out of four. I, I can't put my finger on it. I, I just think that that team cannot get into a groove because every time it seems like they get everybody back and they're trying to develop chemistry, they're not able to do it because next thing you know, Porzingis is out for another week or two, or then somebody else is out. You know, it's just it's, Porzingis is the main culprit from the standpoint that he cannot stay healthy, cannot stay on the court. And even when he has been on the court, he is so different of a defensive player than what he was in the past. His mobility is not there as much. And I, I think there's some chemistry problems between those two. It's fair. It's fair. Uh, did you see the comment that Luca made on the play in tournament? Not a fan. He's not a fan. And they are in the seventh spot right now, I believe. Correct. Uh, yes. As of the time we've recorded this podcast, by the way. Uh, but Mark Cuban also echoed such sentiments um, and said in hindsight that the play in tournament that they board board of governors had approved was an enormous mistake. So here's, here's my thought on this. If they were not in that seventh spot, say they were number five, would they be talking about it? And this is not, this is a completely different conversation than the condensed season part. The condensed season, we can talk about how bad of an idea that was, all that. But the play-in tournament specifically, is it really that much more related to the topic? Like, I just, I don't see what the the quote-unquote outrage over the play-in tournament that spans two days versus a season that has been going since December and with four games and five nights, five games and six nights, whatever it's been. Like the play in tournament, that's what the enormous mistakes was not the condensed season, not taking it more seriously and, and not spacing games out. That's, that's the mistake. I don't, well, I, I, don't I believe so. Luca's problem with this is the standpoint that if you are the seven or the eight seed that in the past you would be in the playoffs. Yeah. So this is knows- a different, yeah, this is a different, by the way, just preface this too, to the audience that were that's listening. The, the Cuban comment and the Luca comment had different types of, of, of you know, uh, thoughts. So Luca is basically addressing that there shouldn't be a play in tournaments because the eight best teams are the eight best teams. Right. And whereas, he knows, whereas like, Q, if you, yeah. Yeah. Like if, so I played all season long and now I should be in the playoffs, but I'm a seven or eight seed. I got to play in the play in tournament. If I lose two games, then boom, I'm out. And he's just like, how is that fair? You know, because he's looking at it like that way, like, Normally, if you're in the playoffs, you have to lose four games in a series to be eliminated. Now it's just two right off the bat. Boom, somebody's gone, you know, and then Cuban is talking about like he doesn't like the idea of this because the way that the season has been and it feels like there's extra stress on everybody because it is a compacted season and there's a lot of stress on can I make it into the playoffs? And not only do I want to make it in the playoffs, but I want to be in the top six because I don't want to be part of this play in tournament. So that that's his argument. Well, from from a different standpoint, though, you can argue argue that every team has been incentivized to try and win to get into that structure, right? Right, and so, that's why they wanted to do the playing tournament. So it worked from that standpoint. Yes, it worked because everything's wide open. Everything is wide open. So I just don't get why this is the subject that someone's upset about, rather than the season as a whole. Like logistically, what about this tournament is not right? What, what, what's wrong with this setup? 
it was fun last year. And the whole incentive, like you said, was to stop people from tanking. And yeah. I think it's done that. It's how look at the Sacramento Kings. They still think they're going to get in, you know, and how many times do we have to relitigate that, you know, because they, so they said, you know what, we're not going to dump our team. We're going for it, you know? And I mean, the Memphis Grizzlies were a team that you kind of thought maybe they were going to be like, oh, we're going to sandbag this. And, you know, and they get rid of Gorgie Jang. Where are they at? They're the freaking eight seed. They're two games over 500. I can see it from the standpoint of, okay, we have this tournament and then boom, we're right into the playoffs like a day later. But I don't think they would do it that way. I think that they would change it, that they wouldn't have them play back to back days with a second night of a back-to-back in their first playoff game, that's not going to happen. I wouldn't think so. And here's like, when you think long-term about this, because the turnaround of the season from last season to this season is something we've never seen before. What is it? 71, 72 days in between games. So, I mean, that is tough. And we understand why they did. It was a business move that they did. But remember this year, there is going to be two teams that are playing in July and they're going to have a quick turnaround for next season. Oh, and by the way, the Summer Olympics are in between. And some players are going to be participating in those Olympics. Yeah. And that that's just even more basketball for those players to put more stress on their bodies. <laughs> Not to so, make it even worse than it already is, but with Jamal Murray, yeah, he was going to be a big part of the Canadian team as well. Oh, yeah. No, he... he He's one of the best that they have. Yes. I mean, that, that Canadian team could be really feisty with the roster they could put together. Mm-hmm. But no they, they still have to um, they still have to make it into uh, the Olympics. Oh, I didn't know the qualifiers. I'm, yeah, I'm they, they, they haven't not qualified aware. yet. <laughs> yep. I, I didn't know this either. I was just listening. I, I heard about it the other day, and I was just like, oh, they're not even in. But Canada can make – they can have a pretty interesting uh, roster. Yeah. But unfortunately – Jamal Murray will not be a part of that. No, sir. Um, did you did you know logistically how the play-in tournament works, by the way? Like, do you want me to explain well, I, how I know it how it works, but you can explain it. I, I was going to say, I have it here. So just to, just to close out this topic and inform the audience how this goes. So game one will be the number seven team hosting the number eight team the winner of that game gets the number seven seed. The loser of that game gets another chance. In game three, it's the loser of that matchup, like I said, the loser of the number seven and number eight game, playing the winner of the number nine, number 10 matchup. The winner of that particular game gets the number eight seed. Yes. The loser of the game between the number nine and number 10 matchup is out of the playoffs and enters the lottery. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. It's just, those, it's just those three games. Yeah. So it's a little it's a little different from the one in the bubble, though, isn't that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. There's a but, little uh, bit different. And it, it's weird because you would automatically think, like, okay, so seven plays 10 and eight plays nine. That's not the way it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, let's, let's hit on a couple of Eastern Conference teams, and then we will get out of here. So first, uh, just because I want to plug my article, uh, the Atlanta Hawks, and we touched on them too uh, last week a little bit more, talking about how Nate Millen has done a great job with them, you know, despite the injuries to DeAndre Hunter and K 
Cam Reddish and, and, you know, John Collins has been sidelined for a while. The Hawks are playing good. The Hawks are playing feisty. They're playing, playing hard, really taking on the identity of a Nate McMillan team playing defense and slowing it down, playing more smart, so to speak. So uh, what I did was I took a deeper dive. It's on basketballnews.com. The article is called Trey Young and the Hawks are suddenly getting it done in the clutch. These numbers are insanely different. And Brian, I don't know if you read this. I'd be happy if you did because you're my partner, but if you didn't, it's okay. But the, the, fun, the fundamental differences, and I'll, I'll say some of the numbers on here, but Trey is playing with more veteran players, which is in turn increasing his play just cerebrally and, and being able to have that experience on the floor with him has really uplifted his decision-making. And I think it's as simple as that. And I think the numbers show that. Because prior to Nate McMillan taking over, he was playing with DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish and Kevin Herter. All those guys were really the, the primary lineups. John Collins and all that. But since McMillan took over, the minutes for Tony Snell have increased. The minutes for Solomon Hill have increased. Lou Williams is playing 23 minutes a night now since they acquired him. These are huge, huge changes. And someone who's not getting enough love, and I didn't really go into it too much in the article, is Clint Capella. Clint Capella is not only a rebounding machine who leads in a couple different categories in rebounds, by the way, in the entire NBA. Defensively, that dude is a menace. And he makes a huge difference. And Trey Young just throws up lobs for him. <laughs> he throws up lobs for John Collins too, but John Collins is obviously on the sideline. But the stat that I found was that Trey, the first player in the NBA this year to record at least 100 assists to two different teammates. No one else has, that, has done that yet. So... That team has really taken a step and playing well in clutch situations. Clutch situations. They were the second worst team in the league by net rating in their first 34 games of the season under Lloyd Pierce. And they went 6-13 and 13 in any, any contest that defined clutch. So clutch situation is five minutes or less where the, the, the point differential is five points or less. With McMillan, since he took over, and this is as of Tuesday night. They're playing right now, and I don't see what they're doing. But they rank sixth best since March 2nd, and net 16.6 points per 100 possessions better than their opponents and have a 7-3 and three record in those games. So that right there, that is, an, that is such a change, such a, a improvement. Oh, and this is another one. Listen to this one. So Trey Young's usage in clutch time moments went from 37.4% to 48%. You would imagine that he would turn the ball over the more he had the, the ball in his hands, right? With, with that stat. But his turn, turnover ratio has actually decreased by five points. And his assist percentage went from 41.9% to 71.4% under McMillan. 
So there's my argument right there. Playing with more veteran players, changing rotations, understanding personnel, Nate McMillan has got to sh- get, get, get showed some love. Absolutely. And, you know, one other guy, too, that has really helped the cause, I think, is having Bogdanovich back. Oh, now huge. Finally huge. healthy and, and getting his game in there. And he's been able to get mixed into the rotation where he's more comfortable. And Nate McMillan has kind of unlocked him. And now that he's finally been healthy. I think that has played a lot as well. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes you just need a fresh perspective on this. And, like, Nate McMillan obviously was there. But letting him kind of make the calls and now the team is healthy and the way that he has played with these rotations and gotten him around veteran players, like you said, it's been night and day. And that's why right now you see a Hawks team that is fourth in the East. It's wild. They've just literally skyrocketed up. And by the way, they just beat the Hornets who had that fourth place at the time. And they did it without Trey. Right. Like they, they've gotten guys stepping up. Like you said, bogey bogey is playing out of his mind right now. And that's good because that's the guy they, they expected. And when, when, when we talked about Lloyd Pierce getting fired, we also prefaced it with, okay, watch McMillan look really good and look better now because he's getting healthier. He's getting healthier talent back. Now, we don't know how Lloyd Pierce would have done with more Bogdanovich, with more Gallinari. I didn't mention Gallinari. Gallinari's been huge with Trey on the floor, them together, uh, j- just a magnificent pairing with those two healthier together and, and, you know, getting bodies back. Yeah. Lloyd probably would have done an okay job, but McMillan has really put his stamp on this. And the Hawks are playing a Raptors team tonight that um, has struggled as we all know. And, you know, I expect the Hawks to win. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, But I mean, they played so much better under McMillan for a variety of reasons. And and I think some of that too is, I mean, yeah, they've gotten healthy, but you got to give a lot of credit to the coaching staff there and Nate McMillan for what he's done and saying, you know what, this is the way that we had originally, this team was constructed and how it was going to be utilized. That wasn't working for a variety of reasons, but now I can kind of put my stamp on it. I'm going to play it this way. I'm going to get Trey around some of these veterans and you know what? Trey has played better with them. You know, the assist to turnover ratio is a big, big thing. He's not turned the ball over as much. He's been so much more efficient, but especially in those crunch time minutes, like you said, and that's the difference between L's and W's. It is. It is uh, just a few different things. Also, I, I wanted to say the shuffling in the East is hilarious. Like, like the West has it, it's wide open, but you look at the records and there's not too much changing. <laughs> the, the four through the, realistically, the nine seed could all be that fourth seed. Like, the, it's just madness in the East. Like, you see Miami. Miami's, Miami's up and down. Charlotte is still not, not ending their fight, even with LaMelo on the sidelines. Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier stepping up. Uh, and even, even with, with Gordon Hayward on the sidelines, too, by the way, we didn't even mention. Like, those two guards are really helping carry that team. Miles Bridges off the bench, another person that deserves a lot of love. The Celtics all of a sudden are, are winning. Um, like, they're two games over 500. Uh, you just see Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown really stepping up. I think Tristan Thompson has been huge. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're kind of finding their stride. I just still don't know if I believe in them. 
but but they are they are marked improving. Uh, you know, the Knicks are doing what they've done all season. Uh, they, they they sometimes struggle to score, but they always defend. They're still over 500, still trudging along. Julius Randle just had an amazing game against the Lakers. Um, you mean night. the Randall revenge game? <laughs> hey, there's a reason that revenge games, you have to play them in DFS and in fantasy. Well, I mean, you know what? Again, Montrez Harrell, who apparently is the, the newest instigator around the league. Uh, the two of them almost got in a little, you know, scuffle. It looked like as a one shooter point, was hurt for that. Right. Shooter couldn't have done that because he was. Yeah, on the yeah, sidelines. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, at, at one point there was, there was a spot where Harold kind of bumped into him and Randall literally just put his hand right in his chest and shoved him. And he was like, Hey, what's going on here? You know? So, I mean, we we're going to get into another, you know, you know, fight or something. I mean, for anybody that saw the game you know, previous week when, Shooter got upended, you know, and then uh, Montrez came to, you know, the aid of his teammate. And then he's the one that got in trouble for it. Uh, Another cheap plug for our uh, Etan Thomas on basketballnews.com had a great article about NBA referees being way, way, way too trigger happy on these ejections. There was a, the, a, a incident between Dennis Schroeder and Kyrie Irving where they were literally just trash talking and, and, and just verbally spatting. But the referee apparently thought that doing that is too far. So he ejected two of the best players in the game. Which really stupid, right? No sense. No, no sense, sense no whatsoever. Sense. I mean, I understand if you want to get in there and say, hey, guys, shut it up, back off, whatever. But you know what? Even with the um, the Harrell situation where he came to the aid of Schroeder, I was just like, what do you expect him to do? You want to tee the guy up? Then fine. He, I mean, he saw his teammate get picked up and body slammed and he went over there and shoved the guy and was like, Hey, I, I don't want you to do that. So like, so he gets thrown out of the game and, and I get it because of the NBA rule. So like Taylor Horton Tucker got suspended for a game because he was at the scorer's desk and walked onto the court four steps. And they said, that's it. We know the rule, which Come on. There's, I mean, that that's goofy. Trez, Trez is getting teed up for saying and one this year. It is really oh, some, it, it's some it's, BS. It's wild. I mean, what was that game earlier this year where um, uh, Booker got thrown out for nothing? Yeah. I yeah, mean, tossed, it, tossed the ball to the referee. But yeah, yeah, did yeah. find out. Did find out, though. Uh, he, he called the referee uh, an expletive. So that was in the that was in the pool report. And that was the, the reasoning, even though it looked like it was just the bounce pass. Uh, but. You know, we kind of trailed off topic there, but the, the the other team that I also wanted to address was the Indiana Pacers. They're on a three-game winning streak. The, the schedule softened up a little bit, but they did have a nice win at Memphis on uh, Monday night. So that that's starting, hopefully, for them to pick up. But, again, they've played the Timberwolves, the Magic, uh, the, the, the two before the Grizzlies win. At the same time, uh, you know, their offense finally, you know, starting to click a little bit. We'll see if that continues. Um, I did want to shout out one person that I don't think we've ever shouted out on the podcast, and that's TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell is playing out of his mind this year. And his He's a thief. He is a he is he is a thief. He is somebody who dishes out assists left and right. This dude is is one of the most annoying players of the, the other team because he is just so so heady and he plays harder than you. And and that annoys a lot of people that want to just get by on talent, right? You know, like it annoys a lot of people. But uh, yeah, so McConnell coming off the bench has been big for them. But Karis Levert, this is big time. 
This is big time. He had 34 points in that win against Memphis. And really, it was the first game that he's looked like Karis. Like he had a 26-point game um, against the Spurs, but this one last night was was very, very Karis-esque. It looked like healthy Karis. It looked like the Brooklyn Karis that we know can just go off at any minute. Um, so that was a really good thing to see, especially knowing what road he's been down. Um, to, to see him, you know, come out with a performance like that against a team like Memphis, who has been, you know, somewhat uh, of a of a, a thorn in a lot of teams' sides. I was wondering because you mentioned the Timberwolves, if you were so excited knowing that I'm sure one of your favorite baseball players of all time, and Alex Rodriguez, is poised to become the majority owner of the uh, T Wolves. No comment. Oh, I'll give you a comment. <laughs> no, comment. I'll give you a comment about hey, a Rod. Hey, I'm in Cleveland. I'm in Cleveland. I know he he was a Yankee for a long time. I liked a Rod when he was in like Seattle and Texas, even. But when he got to the Yankees, I was just like, oh, I will on. give you this one because this is more of a um, of a baseball take rant. Oh boy. Don't go too long. I find it ridiculous <laughs> that Major League Baseball has allowed a guy that has cheated the game as much as he has to be a prominent member of baseball and allowing him to be part of ESPN Sunday Night Baseball coverage, where, by the way, he sucks as an announcer. He sucks. He is so bad on that. He is not good. He is a liar. He is a cheat. He is all of those things. And then they almost let him buy a team in Major League Baseball. And now he's like, well, I can't get into this one. So he's trying to make a smart move by getting into the NBA. And by the way, I don't know if you saw the comment. Somebody asked Anthony Edwards of the T-Wolves, like, on A-Rod, he was like, I don't even know who that is. He's 19. I mean, I know he is. <laughs> so. it's, it's funny to look at from that perspective. It but is. I mean, it is. Well, it the, is. Big, the big thing about the Timberwolves, though, so, like, you know, A-Rod and his partner are, if everything goes the way expect, set to be majority owners of the Timberwolves in 2023. But yet everybody is swearing like, we're not moving the team. We're not moving the team. I'll believe it when I see it because we've seen this game play out before. You know, when it, what happened with Seattle years ago, we're not moving the team. We're not moving the team, Clay Bennett. We're not moving the team. And the next thing you know, they're the Oklahoma city thunder. So I, I don't know if the NBA would really be excited about moving them. Maybe, maybe not, but we do know that Seattle is desperate to get a team back and they have a facility now. Las Vegas is poised to grab an NBA franchise as well, I think. Um, the question is going to be whether or not two established franchises move or does the NBA expand if those cities are going to get teams. So we'll see. I'm glad we got baseball Brian Fritz to come out on this. I don't this like is, this A-Rod. Is, this is I, Chicago Cubs fan 101 right here. I coming I, out and, and just lashing out against the 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 almost new owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I can't listen to ESPN Sunday Night Baseball because A-Rod is on there. You know how rough it is when you want to watch your team and you're sitting there going, oh, we're not going to bring it up in the Major League Baseball package. Oh, damn, they're the ESPN Sunday Night game. And the only way to watch that is with A-Rod on commentary, unless you want to listen to the radio broadcast and try to sync it up with what you're watching on TV. I listened to him last year when the tribe were playing the Yanks in the playoffs. So I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Okay. That's enough on A-Rod. That's enough on, 
on basketball. I think that's enough for us because anybody else uh, you want me to rip? There's, there's no one left. There's no one left. I think that's, that's good. We got a lot in today. I think that, that the listeners are going to enjoy this one. Hopefully they will go to basketballnews.com because we are a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. Nine other great podcasts for you to listen to other than this one. The Rex Chapman show with Rex Chapman and Josh Hopkins. Neat and unfiltered with Kenyon Martin and Jada Kiss. The Posecast with James Posey. Dishes and Dimes with the ladies. Etan Thomas with the rematch. The Dunker Spot with Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr. The Alex Kennedy Podcast, which is behind-the-scenes look at the NBA with a bunch of great guests. The Sheridan Show with Chris Sheridan. And, of course, the follow-through with Clips and Drew. NBA Top Shot Weekly, a new one that Alex Kennedy has in there. And that's coming out on every Thursday, I believe, uh, that they talk about what's new in the NFT world and what's going on with Top Shot and those virtual cards, those virtual highlights that I'm sure you guys got to learn about. We have a great contest, by the way, on basketballnews.com. Sweepstakes, enter to win one of four Top Shot packs. All you have to do is go to the website. You follow us on Instagram. You enter your Instagram username, subscribe to our YouTube channel, download our app, give us your email, and you have a chance to win. So make sure you go there and do that. Make sure you check out our awesome articles. Nikias said everything that I wanted to say about this Twitter exchange between Kevin Durant and Shannon Sharp. It's the main story on the main page right now. So check that out. I did my deep dive on Trey Young, like I told you already. Rashawn Holmes had an exclusive Q&A with Alex Kennedy. So make sure to go check that out. And all the other great stories and film breakdowns that we have on this website. Promise you'll love it. Troy Brown Jr., actually. That's not a breakdown, but that's something he'd tell you Behind the scenes look at him getting dealt to the to the Bulls and the first time that he's gotten traded in his career. Really, really interesting stuff. So again, check out basketballnews.com. Check out basketballnews.com podcast network. You won't regret it. You can find me on Twitter at Spin Davies. You can find him on Twitter at Brian Fritz. You can find me on Instagram at Spin Davies. You can find him on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. That's gonna do it for us here on Keeping It 94. Make sure you keep it tuned in. Keep it locked into basketballnews.com and our social media channels. And we will see you next week.